Hi everybody. Today I get to chat with Matt Roshak, a prolific game developer who has created the hugely popular epic battle fantasy series of games. We dive into how he creates his games, his approach for marketing them in a very crowded ecosystem, and a whole lot more. So even if you aren't a game developer, Matt shares a lot of good wisdom that we can apply to our respective disciplines. Let's get started. Hi Matt, great to chat with you. Before I get too far into it, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm, I'm Matt Roshak. Uh, known on, online as Kupo Games. I've been making Flash games for uh, well, a very long time, almost 20 years. Well, I started a animating uh, for Newgrounds, so I've been doing animations a bit longer than, uh, than games. But uh, uh, yeah, pretty much been doing the same kind of work for a long time now, and the environment's changed quite a lot. I used to make games for Newgrounds and Congregate, and uh, once Flash in browsers, uh, started being phased out i moved on to making games for steam and more recently i've started dabbling with uh mobile development so i have a, a game on ios and android now as well and i'm i'm best known for the epic battle fantasy games which are turn-based rpgs yep i played some of your epic battle fantasy games years ago and i played a little bit of them like recently just like watching videos of it it's, it was a lot of fun. And the amount of detail you put into it, you definitely want to get into it in a little bit, is quite impressive. And so that, that's some of the first thing that immediately, of course, came up, which is you started building it in Flash. Mm -hmm. How are you building it now? Because at least on your website, and have you talked about it over the past several years, you're still using a lot of the Flash code and just compiling it to targets that are more modern. It's, uh, it's pretty much still all done in Flash. Uh, the Steam version runs in Adobe Air, which is just a fancy flash player. It's pretty much the same thing, but it adds a few application features. Uh, the mobile version is also uh, Adobe Air, but on uh, on mobile, it's more optimized. Like I know uh, the flash files are like converted to like native uh, code on iOS and uh, on Android. They're not, I think they're not native, but they're still, they still run a lot faster than they do on PC. So, uh, yeah, on Steam, it's just the normal Flash player, pretty much. But on, on mobile, it's something a bit bit more modern, a bit faster. Are, are you using Flash itself, or are you using Animate, which is like the replacement? I'm using the old version of Animate, uh, 2015, so it's still called Flash. Yeah, I, I, I remember you mentioned that, that you're using 2015. Is there a reason why you haven't moved over to a newer version, or is it really just that there's nothing that the new versions provide, especially they might even slow you down because they can't really compile to Flash. There, there was an obscure uh, reason. Uh, it's because I wanted to use the... Oh, it's really stupid. It's hard to explain, right? Uh, Adobe had this stupid limitation in, in, a, in Adobe Air where you couldn't use the stage quality settings that the browser uh, version of Flash had. You couldn't go to low and medium quality. So I had to get do these really stupid workarounds to get that working. So I don't use the, in the Steam version of the game, I don't use the web version of Flash. Uh, no, bleh. I do use the web version of Flash Player. I, I, I basically make a web page in uh, Adobe Air and I use the web version instead of the version of Flash Player that comes with Adobe Air. And uh, I had to use the old version of the authoring tools to get that working. It, it's really stupid, but, uh, after uh, after complaining on Twitter and, and having uh, my my story go viral, I actually got a reply from Adobe, 
and they, they they showed me a hack of how to get the old version of Adobe Air uh, running in the newer versions of animes. But uh, I, I I tried it; it worked. But I never I never bothered to use the new version after that. But uh, since uh, since uh, Flash Player has been taken over by uh, Harman, which is a Samsung company, they, they they fixed the problem with the stage quality in like half an hour. Like as soon as someone pointed out to them that this was an issue, they, they like just fixed it right away, and it's not an issue anymore. But like you know, this was a problem for like ten years with uh, Adobe Air on desktop, and they never addressed it until a new company took over. So that's that's quite frustrating, but it also means that Flash is being being taken care of now for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I think that you're able to still use Flash and still able to compile down to targets that are still relevant today, like mobile and desktop and, and all these surfaces. I think that's going to be a big surprise to a lot of people because many people are like, yeah, Flash is no longer around. There's no point in using ActionScript or the stage and like drawing movie clips and all these things, which is one of the many reasons why I want to chat with you because you're one of the you know more popular game developers who's still using Flash for a lot of your work. I think there's there's quite a few people who wanted to keep using it. It just wasn't meeting their needs. And maybe some of them will start looking at it seriously again. Because uh, I know a lot of developers who still use Flash for like graphics and stuff, and they just load it into a different custom engine they made. Like Edmund McMillan still does all of his art in Flash. I think Tom Fulp from Newgrounds says he still does his prototyping in Flash and then rewrites it in C or whatever later. And uh, yeah, the Juicy Beast uh, guys who made Burrito Bison, I think they still do all of their graphics in Flash. So a lot of people are still trying to use it to some extent. It's just like some of the tools, mostly kind of like performance isn't very good. So they have to rebuild that themselves. But I feel like if the Flash was maintained better and it performed better, to modern standards, I think a lot of people would still be using it today. And maybe some of the new projects that are coming up now, like Ruffle, will kind of make it more viable again. Yeah, I agree. You know, like, that's always a thing where, like, there's this hope that Adobe will invest more into it and, and not have the community and third parties fill in the gap here. Because I used Flash for a very long time, well beyond its expiration date in some cases before I switched over to Sketch and then now I'm using Figma mm -hmm. for my artwork because I really enjoyed Flash's destructive editing. You can draw a shape, you can range like a subsection of it, change the color on it, all without having to do any of the various union tools and all the more formal things that more proper design tool needed. Flash never cared about it. They were like, yeah, we're just gonna do it this way, which was perfect for a certain set of like kind of visuals you wanted to create. And then they slowly took those away over the years and then Animate has it much more, it's much more like Illustrator in mm -hmm. style of like how some things work, which again, is not what I care about. Yeah. And I still use Dreamweaver even today for all the content I create. And so for me, I'm always like, I look at the updates that these apps are getting and I always in the back of my mind go, I wonder how long Adobe will keep maintaining some of these apps before it's gonna be hidden and no longer available because when that happens, yeah. it's gonna be a huge interruption to my workflow because that's been the way I've been doing things for decades now and it works, no one actually ever sees the output of the performance bond. And none of that stuff is relevant because their work for me is high or not high. It's familiar, but high, but the end user benefits from it because they don't care how it's made. They just want something that works. It's fine. And all these little things. 
Yeah, and I would say that even though it has a lot of kind of disadvantage now, Flash still does some things uniquely well. Like, uh, you know, you don't have to wor worry about like the resolution of your game assets. And uh, I, I'd say depending on the kind of game you're making, but if you're making a fairly simple game that you want to have on multiple platforms, I think Flash is still a pretty good way of doing it because uh, putting my games on mobile was actually quite straightforward. The hard part was jumping through all the hoops required, like uh, trying to get ads and in-app purchases and stuff working and, and, you know, ticking all the boxes like this, this collects so-and-so data of the user or whatever. All of that stuff took the most work. Actually making the games run on mobile was pretty straightforward. So uh, I think yeah, it's still good for that. Contain. What's that? Yeah, no, that's very cool. And you're you're pretty much the only developer, correct? It's not like you have a team of people. It's just you developing and building the games. Yeah, it's just me. I have help with translations and music. And do you think that because you're using Flash, you're able to scale and have yourself basically do all these things more easily, as opposed to if you had to use something like Unity or these other more complicated engines where you need to have delegate a lot of the work between people because... I think so. It, it probably helps. I haven't tried Unity, but well, I mean, I, I see plenty of people complaining about it on Twitter, how every time there's an update, everything changes. And I mean, for the most part, all my Flash stuff still works like 10, 15 years later, and I can use all my old files. And yeah, I recently republished some of my old games on Steam. Some of them are still in ActionScript too. And I just load them into Adobe Air with ActionScript 3. And, you know, Steam achievements work. The Steam overlay works. Like, all the Steam features work. And it's just, you know, really old ActionScript 2 games. And they still work. Though, uh, the, not, not the hard, okay, the hard part was the authoring tools not supporting ActionScript 2 anymore. I had to, you know, pirate some of the old versions of the tools to, to make changes to those games. But other than that. How I mean, do you integrate okay. I'm curious though, how do you integrate with Steam achievements using like ActionScript 2? Because there's no concept of that back when ActionScript 2 was still around. So I make like a launcher in Adobe Air, which is written in ActionScript 3. And I use uh, either uh, local connection methods or uh, I think there were some other ones. But you can communicate between uh, ActionScript uh, 3 and 2 because like two uh, SWF files can connect to each other. And uh, yeah, and that works really effectively because there's, uh, yeah, people have made tools for uh, all the Steam features in ActionScript 3, and I can just, you know, communicate communicate between the two languages quite easily. That is impressive. You know, I've had to bet, I'd say probably, probably 10 people in the world who probably know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I've, I've explained it to quite a few people. Uh, like uh, whenever someone's trying to port their Flash games to Steam, I have to kind of explain it. But I think I made quite a detailed uh, forum thread. Uh, I don't know where it was, but like when you Google how to do this stuff, I think my reply is the one that comes out and I, I, I lay out all the steps. It's, it's not really that complicated. It's just kind of obscure because not many people are doing it. Yeah, it's like one of those languages that people spoke back in the day, but it's been underused, so no one really knows how to speak that language anymore. You can see like bits and pieces of like stone tablet lying around of like old ActionScript one or two code, but no one really knows exactly how to combine it. So it's actually quite 
quite novel that you're able to figure these things out and still share it. Yeah, there's a lot of little tricks you need to learn. Like for example, the Steam overlay only works if like the your graphics card is working, or else it freezes. And if Flash doesn't have any animations running, it apparently doesn't do anything with the graphics card. So you have to make sure you always have like something animated in Flash or the Steam overlay will just freeze. So you just have like a little uh, hidden animation somewhere in the corner or something. So it's just little tricks like that you have to be aware of to get things running. But uh, like once yeah. you know about it, it's pretty easy. It is like textbook tribal knowledge, you yeah. know, that only those who've been diving deep into this and have the historical context know all about what's going on there. Have you ever thought about rewriting your games into something besides Flash? You know, especially when you think about like, you know, you've been doing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Let's say for the next 20 years, will you still mm -hmm. be using the Flash-based approach or will you pick something that's more maintained? I, I hope that uh, Ruffle does everything that I need because so far it's it's basically Flash, but it runs faster, which, which would be ideal. That's what I want. I mean, it's not finished yet, uh, but it, it's made a lot of progress and it's, it's doing pretty well. So I, I hope I can just make Flash games that run in Ruffle. Uh, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how far they take it. Uh, looks like it works pretty well on PC, but I don't know how good their mobile support is so far. But I, I did test it on my iPhone a little bit, and it seems to run reasonably well. So that, that's my hope. I, I hope I can just basically keep doing the same thing, because I, I would rather not retrain. Yeah, no, that, rewriting something purely for the sake of rewriting it is never, never fun. So that actually, you know, gives me hope that some of the Flash stuff will continue on for, you know, next generation of developers and types of games and things like that. So let's go back to a little bit more at the beginning. What got you started into game development? Uh, well, I started doing animations, and animation is a lot of work. Uh, it takes you a long time to get anything done. So uh, making a video game is a lot faster because you can recycle the same animations over and over again. And then like your five minutes of animation can become like a game with one hour's worth of content with just a bit of extra work. So I, I feel like making games was immediately much more appealing than making animations because it's so much more like time effective and just kind of more fun as well. So that's that's kind of how I started getting into that. I felt like it, it made animation more interesting and it was also more cost effective. And uh, when I started, I just didn't know how to program. So that's the only thing that really kept me back. But uh, I went to, uh, I, I did uh, software engineering at university. So I learned uh, Java and, and C and, and everything else there. So. Uh, it was pretty easy to just turn that into action script afterwards. Really cool. And when you think about how much game development has changed over the years, what do you think has been the biggest change in terms of like how people build games today, which is how you started back you know, 20 years ago? I think standards are a lot higher now because when I started, uh, if you could make pretty much anything in Flash, you could make quite a lot of money. Uh, like, you know, like Flash games when I started were, were pretty simple, right? And uh, and websites were giving out like thousands of dollars to for for developers to make simple games for them. So I, I think if you just had a little bit bit of kind of skills in that department, you could get a decent job. Like regardless of where you lived or how old you were, 
it didn't, it didn't really matter as long as you could, you know, send some files to some website, you know, they'll be happy with that. So uh, I think that's a lot harder to do today. No, that sounds, that's true. Were, were the Epic Battle Fantasy games the first ones you created or were the other games you created before you went deep down that path? They were the first ones that were, uh, that had like sponsorships that I started like making decent money from. Because uh, Armor Games contacted me and they're like, hey, do you want, do you want sponsorship money, so-and-so? And and, uh, and I was like, quite surprised because I didn't realize these, I, I didn't realize that that's how money was made at the time. I thought it was mostly just advertisements. But uh, yeah, I made a few games before then, but they were like really simple. They were uh, kind of more like uh, interactive movies or slideshows. It was just like, you know, the animation plays and you press a button at a certain time and a different animation plays instead. And that was basically it. But they were still kind of fun despite that. You know, that I remember, you know, this is probably when, like, early 2000s, late 1990s? Mm. Uh, like middle, middle 2000s is when I started. 2000s. I think uh, two, 2004, I think, was the first time I got a front page feature on Newgrounds with uh, animation. Yeah, I was like, those were like the golden era of like browser-based games because I think you had like MSN was creating games. I think Adobe or Macromedia at the time had a place called, I want to say Shock Zone or like Shockwave had like, you know, a games gallery where you could play like Water Balloon Drop and like things like that. There was just so many little games that you could just try out and play. That seems to have shifted a lot nowadays. You know, you still have those game galleries, but now they're all behind app stores to a certain extent. Yeah. How do you do distribution of your games today? Uh, hold on. Let's see. Uh, well, I uh, on, on PC, I just use Steam, and uh, I also have uh, itch.io, but it, it it's pretty small. It's not that important. I, I just did it because it's really easy to upload your games there. It doesn't take very much time. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's mainly Steam, and for a long time, it was mainly Steam. And just Windows, I, I don't do Mac or Linux. But I don't really have to do, I don't have to support Linux because they mostly found ways to run Windows games anyway. And uh, yeah. Mac is like, I think, not really worth the trouble of supporting. It's quite a small market. And uh, yeah. on, on mobile, I just, you know, just upload to the app stores and uh, and hope for the best. I, I hope the algorithms are nice to me. And on Android, they have been a little bit of got a decent amount of downloads from who knows where i i didn't do any marketing or anything it just came out of nowhere so you mentioned you didn't do any marketing how do people find your games it's just through word of mouth it's through historical having known that you've been creating this really great game series for many yeah it, it's mostly from uh people who used to play them for free online i don't I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think uh, some of the games have like 10 or 20 million plays online. Uh, well, like Congregates, uh, well, no one's visiting Congregate anymore, but my games had a lot of views there. And I think a lot of people are just like recognizing the name and the graphics when they see it in the store and uh, they come back to check it out. But, and the thing is like most of the kids who play there are adults now who have actual money to spend, which helps. 
So like uh, all all the fans who played my games like ten years ago can actually pay for the newer ones, which is quite nice. It's funny because what you're saying is very similar to like what some of the Kingdom Rush creators have said a while ago. Like they had a similar story where they created their tower defense games entirely in Flash, running free in the browser, mm-hmm. and they said something very similar. Is that you know, decades later, people are still you know it's popular today because people knew about the game from back then, but now they also have the means to purchase both you know the game itself, but also any in-app purchases that might be coming up. That's actually a pretty you know fun way of just thinking about marketing and distribution. It's just doing things for a long time is one successful approach that's part of it and then the other part is once you get kind of to a reasonable level of success the platforms start being a bit nicer to you like uh steam gives me some privileges that i think a lot of other developers don't have like uh when epic battle fantasy 5 was being released uh valve gave me the option to to send out coupons to everyone who bought the previous game so like a lot of people were just notified that hey this guy released a new game, and uh, I don't think they do that anymore. But even at the time, I think only a few people got to use that feature. So that was that was pretty nice that they let me do that because I, I think that helped a lot. I think it made the the launch day kind of very effective. No, that's a. Uh, it's always good when the platforms give you preferential treatment because of great work you've done in the past. Because it's a competitive space. Now, like you mentioned earlier, it's a, a lot of people are building games and the quality and things have to be almost at a certain level, unrealistic level, you know, for one person sometimes, to be able to break through the, the noise and the clutter of existing products. Yeah. So let's talk about the art style a bit, you know, it's because it's very unique in how it is presented. What was your inspiration behind creating your games in the style that they are in? It's very kind of Flash style. I think a lot of Flash games have a... Any Flash games that use vector arts, I think, end up looking quite similar in a way. And uh, I think my style was mainly based on copying kind of other Flash artists at the time. Um, There's this guy called NCH85 who made like... uh, animations of like cats fighting robots and other things and uh it kind of started off like imitating his style a little bit and it kind of got more complicated and, and smoother over time one of the things that was always really big back then was the whole pixel art you know isometric kind of style in, in flash mm-hmm. you definitely took the more vector approach for it was there any you know was there any rationale you know reason behind that no it's just what i was familiar with and it seemed to work okay uh, yeah, I, I like pixel art, but I feel like it's it's quite a lot of work. It takes more time than vector art, so that's probably is. Yeah. So one of the things I always found about game developers and you know, people who create games is that they also enjoy playing games as well. Were Were you big into RPGs, especially turn based RPGs, and that's what inspired you to create your current ones? If so, what was your, some of your favorite games you played? Well, like when I was a teenager, I I think. The Final Fantasy games were my favorite. I think I spent more time on them uh, than anything else. And also, I was uh, I was quite interested in uh, game FAQs and reading about how the mechanics worked, like how you can kind of cheese the games and break the mechanics <laughs> by doing stuff that wasn't intended. And, well, there was a lot of kind of weird quirks and bugs in those games as well. So, uh, yeah, I played a lot of Final Fantasy, and I tried to think about how I could improve on the mechanics because the games are fun but the 
gameplay in a lot of them is pretty basic. It's just like level up your characters, replace your old weapons with new weapons, and that's it, right? There's not really that much strategy involved in older Final Fantasy games unless you're doing some kind of high level like cheesy like cheesy tricks to beat the super bosses or whatever. But for the most part, I just I felt like I wanted to keep the parts that I liked about those games and replace the parts that I didn't like. And well, the most obvious example was random battles, which I think were, well, I, I guess people accepted them at the time, but no one really liked random battles. So I had to get rid of that. You know, the interesting part also is that definitely game mechanics, but also the story as well. So how do you come up with your story lines? Oh, my because stories. My stories aren't very good. I, I do the Nintendo thing where I I, uh, I make the gameplay first, and then I kind of put in whatever story fits. Like, uh, whatever whatever I can come up with that ties all of the features together is, is what I go with. But uh, despite my... Uh, my, my overall stories aren't very good, but I feel like the characters are quite fun. I, I try to write characters that are kind of believable and, like, not perfect. Uh, yeah, and I think I think people... I think that the characters appeal to people quite a lot. I've tried to... I, I've worked hard, especially in my more recent games, to kind of stick to, uh, to, like, writing just, you know, believable characters and making them, you know, stay in character and not doing anything unexpected so uh yeah I, okay I, I i would sum it up like that i i feel like i have good characters but the overall plot is pretty shallow it's, it's like zelda right it's just good guys have to go kill the bad guys the details don't really matter that much yeah i i do think you're a little underselling yourself here because i do think the stories are very entertaining you know even if, yeah. you know, and zelda is entertaining in that level it hits that very primal self of like good versus evil. Yeah, it's like an excuse to do some some cool fights, you know. Like you know, you have you have to find the ultimate weapon and do some shine fight some big bad guy with your shiny new weapon or whatever, and and that's that's really the point of the story. You know, you have a fair amount of characters, and how do you come up with your ideas? Like, what is your process like? Do you have like a notepad and just like jot ideas down randomly when it comes to you, and then you put it all together? Like, walk me through how, like, you approach a new story, new game, new character. Oh, it's, it's been a very long time since I've started working on a new game. Well, I think, uh, oof, how long has it been? Uh, Epic Battle Fantasy V, I think, came out in 2018, and I started working on it in 2015. So I think that's the last time I made a new character. And uh, the new character was very lazy. I just took an existing character, which was a cat, and I made him animated a bit better uh but yeah generally i just try to fill in uh gaps that uh that haven't been filled in i try to make all the characters distinct so any new character has to uh has to look different has to use a different weapon uh they have to have a different personality and they have to be kind of fun interacting with all the other characters as well so yeah, yeah, it would have everything would have to be a bit different, and their interactions with other characters would have to be unique for uh, for me to make that character. No, that's uh, and when you're talking about creating characters, even you know back then, 
how do you make the narrative like how do you think about the end to end fully from the very beginning or do you kind of just like develop it as it goes on it's like you have like one particular scene or one particular part of the game you're focusing on and you're like let me see what i can do with this character at this point and then figure out what the end game is going to be or do you kind of have the beginning and the end figured out the character's arc and then you fill in the gaps you know in between it yeah, yeah, I would do all the gameplay first, so I would know like what all the bosses and the areas in the game are, and then I would kind of fill in the gaps with the story and, and make up excuses for why the characters have to go to each area and you know why they have to fight the final boss. So like all the gameplay comes first. I do all the weapons, all the areas, all the enemies, all the abilities, do all of that first, and then I kind of write the story based on how the characters would react to all of the stuff that's happening. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, you're very active on many social media channels. You have a very popular YouTube channel. You're very active on Twitter. You have like DeviantArt, you know, you have all these things. How do you balance your time between creating games and working on your, you know, whatever the next thing you might be working on versus also making sure you keep your existing fans engaged and happy? It's, uh, it's tricky now because a lot of my social media platforms that used to be quite popular are kind of fading away at this point. Like DeviantArt, not, not a really high priority for me anymore. Not that many people use it. Facebook used to be quite big, but I'm getting less and less engagement there. And it's kind of funny, though, because I have, uh, I have five times more followers on Facebook than on Twitter, but I'm getting more engagement on Twitter, which just shows you kind of like how many old legacy accounts I have on Facebook that don't really interact with anything. So uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm not really prioritizing social media that much anymore. Now that I, I think I'm a bit more established, I think the most important uh, marketing tool is the platforms. And if I make a, a Steam post on one of my games, I think way more people will read that than will read my social media. I think, uh, I think uh, my latest Steam post where I announced my new game got like a thousand thumbs up or whatever, which is way more than I would get on Twitter or Facebook. And the people there I also know are way more invested because these are the people that are using Steam. They're more likely to actually buy the games. So, uh, yeah, I try to post everywhere, but I think uh, I prioritize uh, Steam, uh, my website, because it's good to have a platform that I control. And I use Twitter mainly so that I have good connections to other developers. It's a, a good place to chat with my colleagues and, and see what other people are working on. So, yeah, I would say those are the three most important ones. Yeah, because you're, you're kind of, of course, the game is very visual. And have you ever thought about, like, using those tools that post the same visual, like, multiple places, like Instagram, for example, or, like, having the same content be repurposed for Twitch? Not Twitch, sorry. Um, wow, I'm kind of TikTok, mm. for example. Have you thought about like those kind of areas where you can just, you know, be able to not put in any extra effort, but the content itself will just be repurposed in all those platforms by you to a tool? They all have really annoying restrictions that I mean you have to kind of modify your content a bit. Uh, like I think on Instagram, everything has to be a square, right? Uh, we, we tried Instagram for a while, but it, it didn't really take off. So we, we gave up on it after like a month or two. Uh, and I, I don't know anything about TikTok. I don't really, uh, I use YouTube because it's, it's a fun place for me to put like trailers and, you know, a few kind of early previews of my games. Uh, oops, I accidentally started 
playing a video there. But yeah, uh, I use YouTube because it's a nice way of kind of showing off things in a video format. And uh, I guess YouTube's important as well. I know quite a lot of people follow me on YouTube and like nowhere else somehow. So a lot of people are kind of not really reading what I'm working on. They just see my videos every few months and they're like, what? I didn't know this guy was making a new game. I'm like, you know, maybe you shouldn't follow me only on YouTube then. But uh, yeah, it's useful for for a lot of things. But uh, TikTok, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't have the energy to start on a new new video platform. You know, the the interesting thing, though, is that you have a very, I think I mentioned it before, you have a very distinctive style when it comes to your games. But when you look at your thumbnails on YouTube, for example, as well, they also are very high quality, very distinctive as well. Are you the designer behind all of those as well? Or do you like use a yeah. tool to automate? I enjoy making clickbaity YouTube thumbnails because they actually work. You know, it would be, uh, it's a bit silly, but my, uh, my videos get way more views when I have a really catchy thumbnail. And that's, uh, it's pretty stupid that that's what it comes down to, but it is what it is. So I always try to make them catchy and, uh, I'll see what I can get away with as well. Apparently you can get away with pretty much anything. I thought, oh, if I make a thumbnail that doesn't really have anything to do with the video, maybe I'll get into trouble, but not really. Nothing bad happens. So I think, no, I think you know, YouTube is just kind of a, an experiment in testing the limits of what ridiculous things you can get away with. Which is always interesting, you know, when you watch like the, the videos from like Mr. Beast, for example, where he talks about the importance of a good thumbnail and like mm -hmm. how much he iterates on somebody's content. It is funny, but psychologically, like every thumbnail you create on YouTube, I want to click it because I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what is the snow thing there? Like, what are those four things going after like, you know, the skull of it? The curiosity is like when it really drives. So there's definitely a certain level of understanding you have of marketing and what works on these platforms that I think plays a big role in what you're doing as well. Well, I like numbers, right? So when, when my post gets lots of engagement, I'm like, yeah, I'll do more of that. And when no one engages, I'm like, no, I'll do less of that. So yeah, I, I try to be funny. I try to make catchy thumbnails. I try to post funny gameplay videos or whatever, anything that people like. When I post something that maybe is important to me, but people don't care about, I feel like, eh, oh, well, I guess I won't post too much of that. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the platforms kind of over time dictate what I post. Gotcha. That's what I thought. Your behavior is partially influenced to a certain extent yeah. by what makes sense for each platform and the yeah. evolving rules behind it. I, I think YouTube's a bit easier. I can play it around on YouTube more because... I don't really just, I don't use YouTube only for marketing. I, I just use it for kind of my, my personal blogs and, and stuff as well. So, uh, you know, I, I sometimes just do YouTube for fun and it's, uh, sometimes it works out, but a lot of the times my videos don't get much attention, but yeah. I, I feel like I can express myself a bit better when I'm not doing it for financial reasons. Yeah, which often seems to be like the best way to like both have fun and also reach an audience that's more genuine than trying to actually actively sell or try to do something that that genre. So in terms of how you've been able to be successful, you know, all these years, what do you think are your number one, your number one trait that makes you successful? Mm, uh, let's see. 
I, uh, I don't take any big risks. I make sure I start projects I can actually finish. So unless I am killed, there's nothing that can stop me from finishing a project because uh, I don't, I don't have like, I don't have limited funds. I don't hire anyone to do the work for me. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to get into legal trouble from my ex employer because I don't have one. Uh, so I don't think there's very much that can stop me from finishing a project. Uh, so that's one. And uh, yeah, I commit to finishing pretty much anything I start for the most part, like un unless it's like a really early prototype, but an anything I put more than a few weeks of work into, I'm, I'm pretty committed to finishing it. Uh, so those help. And, uh, in terms of long-term success, I think always also making more or less kind of similar games that are easily identifiable helps a lot because people kind of recognize my characters and the art style. Whereas if every project was different, I, I maybe wouldn't have as many people playing each game one after another. So I think having a kind of recognizable brand helps as well. Yeah. How long does it take you know, to walk with your typical day? Let's say you're building a game. What does your typical day look like? Like how many hours do you spend actually coding and designing versus just just taking a break and just relaxing. It's completely random. I can work uh, between zero and like 12 hours a day. Uh, yeah, it just depends on my, how I feel, how much energy I have. Uh, there's some things like, like programming can exhaust me pretty quickly if it's not going well. If I'm trying to fix bugs and nothing's going well, I could, you know, I could spend hours not making any progress or just giving up for the day. But some like easier things like data entry, like, you know, giving stats to weapons and stuff and items and writing like achievement descriptions. I think stuff like that is a bit easier. doesn't tire me out. I can do that all day without getting tired. I can do that all week. Uh, drawing generally is quite easy for me as well. That doesn't really tire me out because there's not really that much that can go wrong. So it kind of depends on, on what I'm working on and like how engaging it is. Yeah, and you pair that with the freedom you have of not being tied to like having to employ people or mm -hmm. be responsible for like another employer. I think that kind of gives you that that flexibility to pick and choose and not be creatively constrained. I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a schedule that I have to stick to. I don't have to rush anything. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh, I can. I can take as long as I want. There's. There's no. There's no pressure. So the hot topic these days is artificial intelligence and being able to use that to mm -hmm. generate code, generate visuals. Now you're like generating audio and video and things like that. Both two quite two part question, I guess. What are your thoughts on you know using them for game development? And do you ever feel a certain level of worry that there's going to be a flood of games? They're going to be copycats where someone has put in very little effort to create a game that basically matches your style because this requires you to be trained on the look and feel and style of your games? I would be, uh, I would consider using it for, uh, if I could have it, if I could show it how I want work to be done and it could basically replace me and do things very closely to how I would do them, then I, I, I think that could be quite helpful. What I wouldn't want is for me to kind of work around the capabilities of the AI and be like, this is what it's good at. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a project based on using the tools that are, are working well. Right. I don't want to, 
Like I, I want to still be the director and decide how things are done rather than letting the AI's capabilities lead the way, if you know what I mean. So like if I can basically replace my own work and it still feels like my own work and it's not it's not compromised in any way, I, I think it could be quite handy, quite useful. And uh, but, you know, it depends. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm not I'm not going to try to make any predictions because it's it's super early. I think things change very fast. But uh, as for I mean, as for tons of low quality games being made, I think uh, I think that's always happening anyway. If you look at the app stores and Steam, there's a lot. So I think that's more of an issue for the, the platforms to, to filter out the low-quality stuff. And I think Steam has been doing an okay job. Like, people complain that Steam has a lot of garbage games on it, but you, the normal user doesn't see any of them unless they, they go looking for them, right? Like, uh, for the most part, if you open up Steam, you only see the best-selling things, the highest-rated things, the games that are recommended specifically for you based on what you've played, and all the recommendations are, are fairly well-rated anyway. So I, I think Steam's done a pretty good job with that. I think on the app stores on mobile, it's, it's a bit harder to find high-quality games, but it's up to them to fix that. It's not, it's not really something I can worry about. Yeah, and you mentioned this briefly earlier. What is the top, you know, the, if you look at like typical marketing style activities, the typical way people find your games is through Steam, is through the app stores. But how much of a role does your website and your blogs and your just your personality mm. online play in driving people to play your games? Uh, it's hard to say. My website was useful for uh, for like beta testing when Flash still worked online. So I always had... Uh, I mean, I basically had all of my games available for free on my website before they were published on Steam when I was still uh, fixing things. So it was very useful for beta testing, but now now my uh, website isn't so useful. It doesn't have as much traffic as it used to. But every once in a while, there's still something that I can only do on my website, like ho host a, ga a game made in Ruffle or something. So it's still useful for that kind of thing. Uh, Discord is also very useful for beta testing. It's a good place to quickly contact people and get feedback and like do like uh, community competitions and stuff like that. So uh, Discord's pretty handy in engagement. Uh, in terms of like marketing and reaching new users, that's uh, I've not I've not been very good at that. I think that mostly comes from. Uh, from the platforms just recommending the game to new people because uh i mean they look at it it's got a high rating they, they all have very good reviews by the way so i think i mean if my games have a, a 98 percent positive review score on steam and it's recommended to someone they can they might have a pretty good chance of trying that game out and even if they don't like it that's fine because steam has a very good refund policy so they don't they don't have to risk very much and uh and on mobile, my games are free to play, so you don't have to pay up front. So you can try it out for a few hours before you buy anything. So I think in both in both cases, new players just you know see the game recommended by the platform and have a have a convenient way to try it out without any risk. And that's that's probably the way I find most new users. I don't I don't think my uh, my social media marketing really contributes that much. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to hear because the answer varies depending on what you're building, whether it be a consumer app or a game or something for the business market. It's always entertaining. I have, I have noticed that when one of my tweets goes viral, I might have a little a bump in sales. But uh, I mean, that, that's hard to do reliably, obviously. I don't, I like if I had 100,000 followers on Twitter instead of 10,000, maybe it would make some difference to my sales overall. But I mean, there's not very many developers that have that many followers, right? So it's not, you know, a, a, a publisher might get that many, right? But uh, most developers, I think, aren't are not going to get a big following just from doing social media. Yeah, it's it's a full time job in its own to get you know to manage social media and to do all of that all the time consistently. So you know, it's just like you know, a few last question here. What's your favorite video game of all time? Of all time? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know of all time, but the one I've probably been playing the longest is Age of Empires 2. Uh, I think I've played over a thousand hours over uh, over the COVID lockdowns, and I also used to play it as a kid. So probably that. I wouldn't say it's like the most fun, but it's the most kind of long-lasting. It it lasts there's tons of stuff to do and it's fun to play with your friends so i don't think i'll ever completely get bored of it but uh i also really like the smash brothers games uh i like horror games i've been playing the resident evil remakes and uh oh beat saber is fun i've been trying out vr stuff half-life alex uh but yeah there's there's some examples i used to like final fantasy a lot but not recently. I I haven't been able to play any turn-based RPGs lately. I don't I don't think they've aged very well for me. I, I, I just don't find them that exciting anymore. Which is ironic because you create basically a, a turn-based RPG that's actually highly entertaining. Yeah, I think mine is better than a lot of the AAA ones. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks for the time to chat with me about game development and all the fun stuff you're doing. Your games are exciting, so looking forward to seeing all the cool stuff you keep releasing for the next 20, 30, 40, however much long you want to do this. Thank you very much. It was nice chatting with you.